0: Serial Murder, the Unlawful Killing of Two or More Victims by the Same Offender in Separate Events, FBI.gov. Welcome back to the Axe Murder Diaries. I'm your host, Amanda. And today, we are not covering an axe murder, again, but this is part two to the Franklin B. Evans confession story. Now, the victim we are focusing on today may or may not be one of his victims. I will let you decide, but I still think it's important that she is remembered. Now, this does involve the murder of a nine-year-old girl in the 1800s. If this is not something you want to listen to, I totally understand, and I will see you again once the series has come to its bitter end, but I hope you hang in there with me and let's get started. This is the murder of Laura Velly Libby. On Sunday, September 14th 1862, nine-year-old Laura Velley Libby began her mile-and-a-half walk to the Methodist Church in Strong, Maine. She made this walk every Sunday ready for Sunday school followed by 10 a.m. worship and an afternoon session that would end at about 2.30 to 3 o'clock. She carried with her two apples and a piece of gingerbread for lunch. After church, she would walk home and reunite with her family, only on this day, she never made it home. When Laura did not return home by 4 p.m., Her parents, Isaac and Susan Libby, were concerned and rode into town to look for her. They checked the church and spoke to the minister, who said Laura had not been in church. The next day, the townspeople joined in on the search, scouring the woods between the Libby farm and the village. Laura's body was discovered in a shallow grave only half a mile from home. The following is quoted from the Portland Daily Press, Saturday, October 31st, 1863, and I will warn you, this is quite graphic. Her throat had been cut from ear to ear. Her body was stripped of its clothing, which was laid upon her in the grave, and several marks of violence discovered upon her person, showing that she had been violated, and that the wretch, to cover his crime, had murdered and buried her. The morning she disappeared, a farmhand asked her father, Isaac, if he was planning on accompanying his daughter on her walk to the church. This farmhand's name was Lawrence Doyle. Some sources state that he was quite fond of her. Perhaps Isaac did not think this to be an odd question at the time. When Laura's body was discovered, Lawrence was there and appeared very pale. One source stated that someone witnessed Lawrence talking to Laura the morning she was murdered. He claimed to have taken an unusual route to get to a pasture that was, quote, far away from the Libby farm to take care of some sheep, apparently because he did not want to be caught uh, working on Sabbath. And to be clear when I say he was there... I mean, he was part of the search party, and then when she was discovered, he was very pale. Bangor, Daily Whig, and Courier, September thirtieth, 1862. We understand that a man named Lawrence Doyle has been arrested on suspicion of having murdered the Libby girl in Strong. Doyle was a hired man of the girl's father, an Irishman of 30 years of age. There are some circumstances which throw suspicion upon Doyle, as having had something to do with this horrible murder. It is stated that he does not satisfactorily account for his whereabouts on the day of the murder. It is his clothing on which spots were found and which is now undergoing analysis. We forbear adding further statements of the reason of Doyle's being suspected until the examination. Doyle may yet be able to explain circumstances which we confess are much against him. The following is from the Portland Daily Press, November 9th, 1863. The trial of Lawrence Doyle for the murder of Laura Valley Libby, a girl nine and a half years of age, at Strong, on the 14th of September, 1862, was concluded at Farmington Thursday last. The case was given to the jury at 5 o'clock p.m. Friday at 7 o'clock p.m., after being out 26 hours, they came into court and the foreman stated, that there was no possibility of their agreeing upon a verdict. They were then discharged, the case was continued, and the prisoner remained to jail to await another trial at the next term of court in Franklin County. We learned that on the final ballot, the jury stood eight for conviction and four for acquittal. The following is from the Portland Daily Press, May 13, 1864. The trial of Lawrence Doyle for the murder of Luna Valley Libby. As we know, that is a misprint. In Strong, which occupied the time of the Supreme Court, sitting in Farmington for 14 days, closed on Tuesday last. The jury were out one hour and returned with a verdict of guilty. The prisoner was brought into court and sentenced to be kept in solitary confinement at hard labor in the state prison for one year and then to be hanged by the neck until he is dead. The following is from the Bangor Daily Whig and Courier, December eighteenth, 1865. The Portland Star says that the governor and council have for a day or two been engaged in hearing arguments in regard to the execution of Lawrence Doyle, the man convicted a year since for the murder of a girl in Franklin County in 1862. Under circumstances of peculiar atrocity, having been imprisoned for a year or so in state prison, the time has arrived for his execution, if it be deemed necessary. Mr. Pillsbury, one of the counsel for the prisoner, appeared in his behalf, and Mr. Peters, the attorney general, to make any statement necessary in regard to the evidence at the trial. The hearing occupied a day and a half and was listened to by several distinguished gentlemen. Attracted to the executive chamber by the interest of the occasion, Mr. Pillsbury has fully impressed himself with the belief that Doyle is innocent and that another man whom they have been looking after for some time by detectives in this guilty party. Mr. Peters is equally confident of Doyle's guilt and labored most effectually at the trial to show it. The result of the hearing has not transpired. The following is an excerpt from the Bayonne Herald and Greenville Register. Bayonne, New Jersey, Saturday, February 9th, 1884. Of a broken heart, Laura Valley Libby, aged 10, was missed at Strong Maine. A large number of neighbors deployed themselves in a long line and went slowly through the woods. One man saw a patch of ground which appeared natural, except that some breaks had begun to wither he rolled back a sheet of turf and found the body of the girl. All eyes instinctively turned upon Lawrence Doyle, who had been for years in the employment of Mr. Libby as a farmhand. In the trial, he accounted by witnesses for all the time during which he was absent from the homestead, except one hour, which the defense claimed was too short for him to have reached the spot. The jury refused to convict him, but on the second trial he was sentenced to be hanged. By reason of the influence of his counsel, Mr. Pillsbury, that's my kitten in the background, who thoroughly believed in his innocence, the sentence was commuted to imprisonment for life, and he was sent to the Maine State Prison at Thomaston, where he died of a broken heart. Mr. Pillsbury has never ceased to consider his client wholly innocent. Doyle's death happened 16 years ago. Now, since this is a true crime and true hauntings podcast, I will share a transcript from the Transcript Telegram, Holyoke, Massachusetts, Saturday, February 2nd, 1884. Quote, Mr. Pillsbury has never ceased to consider his client wholly innocent. Doyle's death happened 16 years ago. He is now reappearing in the spiritualist seances of Boston unless the mediums are mistaken, and demands that a fresh effort be made to clear the memory of suspicion. So naturally, I tried to find more information about this seance, um, but unfortunately, I couldn't find anything. But I thought this was the coolest thing. So essentially, what I took from this is that Mr. Pillsbury is trying to use mediums and seances to try to prove that his client is innocent. Now, that is some commitment from the lawyer. The following is an excerpt from the Vermont Record and Farmer, Friday, February 14th, 1873. A Fiend's Confession. Franklin B. Evans, who was now under sentence of death for the murder of Georgiana Lovering, has confessed a frightful series of crimes. According to this confession, in 1858, he stole away and killed a little niece in Derry, New Hampshire, age 5. In 1861, he assaulted and cut the throat of a girl of 14 years in Augusta, Maine, for which, by the way, another man died in prison. I will add that is a misprint. She was 9 years old, and that is in reference to this case. In 1865, he outraged the person of Isabella Joyce, age 14, and then killed her and her brother John, a boy of 12, in Bussey's Woods near Boston. In 1872, June 10th, he is charged with a similar crime upon the person of a woman found dead in the woods near Fitchburg, Mass., and during the year he outraged, mutilated, and murdered Georgiana Lovering. Now, if this is true, then that would mean that Lawrence Doyle, Died of a broken heart in prison and was innocent, it would also mean that Franklin B. Evans was America's first serial killer, even before H. H. Holmes, since H. H. Holmes, who was dubbed as America's first serial killer, was only a baby when Franklin B. Evans started killing. The inscription on Laura Valley Libby's tombstone states Laura V daughter of Isaac and Susan Libby died by the hand of an assassin September 14 1862 age 9 years 4 months 24 days though we weep she returns not is where I will leave you until the next part. So I'm thinking the next case will be, we'll go back to our roots and do an axe murder just for a little break. Um, the, this case is pretty intense. Um, and I do want to apologize again for such a long break there. Um, but I do have an explanation, not necessarily an excuse, but life has just been a little hectic lately. Um, so a couple things happened. Um, I started a new job. It's, so as many of you or maybe none of you know, I was an ER nurse for four years. Um, but I, I ended up deciding to switch specialties and I'm now an OR nurse working in the operating room. And by the way, I'm on call right now for the next 24 hours, so I'm essentially stuck at home. Um, I did do one case already this morning, um, but otherwise I'm just going to be working on the podcast because what else would I be doing on this fine, cool fall day? So the transition was a bit difficult because I went from part-time... 12-hour shifts, 8-hour shifts to 8-hour shifts 5 days a week, but also one day a week, it's a a 9.5-hour shift, and then also one day a week I'm on call. And I work in a um, very busy, pretty remote hospital in Vermont, so it gets busy and I'm very much needed, which is nice. Um, but it was definitely, it can definitely be very tiring, and especially at first. I was not used to having to wake up so early, and I was just having to sleep so much, and I just did not have any mental energy for the podcast, unfortunately. And I don't want you guys to think that I forgot about you, or I'm purposely neglecting you. Um, I'm just doing my best, but I'm starting to feel a little more, um... Myself and have a little more energy, though I am tired because I worked all week and then had a case this morning, but that's okay. We're going to chug through here. Um, Another thing, and this is pretty personal, but if you've made it this far, then let's get acquainted. Um, I've officially been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. I feel comfortable telling you guys about this because if you're at this point, then you're still listening to me. But it's it's something I've suspected for a while now, and it explains a lot of how my brain works, which is honestly awesome. But having this does mean that I struggle with things such as organizational problems, I have chronic fatigue, you know, some days I'm super hyper and... My suspected ADHD takes over, and I am just getting so much done. And when I started this podcast, it was sort of on one of those days. And it's hard, because I want to be consistent for you guys, but I'm just doing my best with my... It It is a, disil- a disability, um, but I'm trying. So I'm trying to work full-time, which... I don't remember the statistic exactly, but around 80% of autistic adults don't work full time. Um, so that is a bit of a challenge, but I'm just trying to be gentle with myself and resting when I need rest. And sometimes that means not always getting episodes out to you guys quickly, um, which I don't like doing because I'm very much a perfectionist. But I will just say that I will continue to do my best and. You know, I'm never not thinking about you guys, my listeners here. And I will say you can sort of think this episode on a woman I um, met and I'm so sorry, I'm so terrible with names. But I was at a a ghost hunt recently hosted by my friend Tim Weisberg and a woman came up to me and said that she really enjoys my podcast and was asking me if I was going to make more. And in my head I was like, Well, I guess I have to now. Um, for some reason I got in my head since I was looking at like some Spotify reviews and I noticed that it wasn't at five stars, so I said, Oh, people must be listening and, you know, giving me negative reviews which which is like to be expected, but it was just a lot for my brain to take, I guess. Um I just, I don't know, I got it in my head that nobody actually liked the podcast and that I was doing a terrible job because I don't have a professional microphone, and when I tried to have one, it was not working very well, but anyway, that is the end of my ramble here. If you're still here, thank you so much. I'm going to work on the next episode literally right now. I love you, and stay safe. Stay spooky, see you soon.